Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Uncontentables podcast. I'm your host, Jake Brown. Today I'm joined by Pete Neal, who's been on previous episodes. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the Christmas truce of 1914. So Pete's going to take it away with the first bit because this is like a specialist subject. And he's got a sort of overview of what led up to the Christmas truce, etc. And what it was like going into December. Right. So what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with uh, the pre-war professional army. Okay, so that's also what makes this event quite special as well, because they're professional soldiers. These aren't conscripts and they're not uh, volunteers who are you know, signing up for a cause to go and fight a specific person. These blokes are hardcore regulars. Um, most of them have probably done maybe two to three years service on average already before the wars even started. So they're, they're very good at what they do. So with that being said... So we're going to go back to the early days of the First World War. So these blokes have been heavily engaged in a, quite a lot of major actions. So we're looking at the Battle of Mons. So that's their first major action where they're fighting at Mons. Plus they've got the retreat from Mons. So they retreated from Mons to the outskirts of Paris. So they, they marched something like 200 miles. Uh, that's, a, that's a fighting withdrawal as well. That's not just like they've decided, you know what, we'll just do it one, shall we? Because uh, the French already did that. So we had to fight our way back to the uh, to the, uh, where we got to. But then we pushed up to the Marne. So not only had they just done a fighting withdrawal, they then did a push from the way they just come about 50 miles. So they did that push, held the line. And then they start, then it was what this famous race to the sea. But the thing is, it weren't that race to the sea as such. It was, yeah, it was a race to the sea, but it was a case of they were trying to flank each other. All right. So one was trying to go around the other and it just ended up, they just kept on stopping each other all the way up till they got to the uh, coast. And they were doing it the other way, all the way down to uh, Switzerland as well. So with that being said, we now come up to Eeps. So the war, so we're now coming up to... The first battle of Eeps, so there's going to be like four, four different battles of Eeps eventually over the course of the war, but this is the very first one. So this is during November time uh, in 1914, where the British Army, by this point, is, they've suffered a lot of casualties. Remember, they've just fought 
through Mons, the retreat from Mons, and they pushed up to the Marne. Plus, they're now they've now moved their way up to the uh, up to up to Belgium or Ypres or Wipers, as it become known as by the lads. So while they're there, the Germans are now going to put in another counterattack to try and push us out of Ypres and to um, basically try and cut us off from Calais and all the rest of it. Um, so at that point, the at the worst point of the battle, there was nothing behind us at all. It was literally anybody and everybody who could carry a rifle had to get up to the front line to try and plug those gaps, um, which we did, obviously, because the war didn't finish and the Germans didn't win. Um, so, But once the first Battle of Ypres had finished, we then made our line. Um, obviously, through that, with tactics of the time, you dig in. So they started digging in. So they started making shell scrapes. Obviously, these shell scrapes then became like a fighting trench. We'd have like two, three men in it. Um, obviously, then that developed. They then start connecting these little slit trenches together. And obviously, before you know it, a trench system is forming. Not the type of trench system that we're going to um, most commonly relate to the First World War. These are more like ditches in the ground, almost like drainage ditches. Even in some instances as well, they're actually using drainage ditches as well. So they've actually just jumped into a drainage ditch and they just connected all that together. Um, so now we're moving up to December. Obviously, December, November, December top. The winter's already started anyway, come November. But come December the winter has now set in. So these trenches are quite, they're quite shallow in places. Obviously uh, that part of uh, Europe water tables, not very good either. So a lot of these blokes, they could be sat in about two, three foot worth of water. So life for them in these slit trenches, in these primitive trenches are quite grim. So they're up, they're up to their knees in water, in mud. Uh, they're not being drained very well. Not like you'll see in a few years time where these look, because obviously they're still learning their lessons. So all these things they need to learn. So we're going to then eventually they'll start having pumps. So they'll be able to pump water out and then there'll be proper drain, like a, a type of drainage system actually running through the trenches. So to try and counteract this flooding issue. <clears throat> Obviously, life ain't too good for them. Um, they're wet, they're miserable, um, and that and that and that that's literally their life at this moment in time. Obviously, they they are making improvements to this trench network that they're creating, um, but there's not, you know, for them it's uh, it is quite grim. So, leading up to the early Christmas period, let's say the sort of nineteenth. Um, a series of offensives go on. So the problem that we've got, and we have this problem through quite a lot of the war, is that the French army is the dominant army in the sense of numbers. So we kind of fall under like a French command, as though um, whoever's running our army at the time, so in 1914, it was uh, Sir John French was running the army at the time. He was always at loggerheads with the French all the time because they were saying, we want you to do this. We want you to do that. And he's going, no, 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 that's yeah. ridiculous behavior. What do you think you're doing? Yeah, because he, <laughs> he, he was also in loggerheads with his core commanders, which was Haig and Smith-Dorian as well. So that's it right, creates yeah. even more of a more frustration because Smith-Dorian took over from his predecessor who basically suffered a heart attack not long mm. into getting to France as well. So it's even more annoyance there as well. So, yeah. Yeah, and the problem with the French as well, they're, they're still in that mindset of let's push the Germans out. Because the, the other thing you've got to remember is, is the French, uh, well, the French, but France has been invaded. 
you know they've set their marker and you know, where they've now made their yeah, yeah. Their, their line they've mm. they've still been invaded so they want to push the germans out their country so they've got something to fight for in that sense of we want to push you out the country british soldier he's there to fight that's all he's there to do so he's quite happy to sit and wait the winter out for the campaign season to start in the spring exactly so traditionally traditionally that's what the british army does come spring you go you start your campaign season during the winter you refit you just get rid of the winter and then you start fighting again so they're more than happy just to sit it out so and that's what french uh, and this is what french is saying to the french <laughs> bit, bit of a mouthful then <laughs> so he's saying to us like no no we've got to wait till spring now because yeah. uh because that's what we do. It's the British Army, and this is what we do. Because why? Because we do. Um, so, but with that, the French have gone. No, we need offensives. We we need you to push them out. It's like so. On the nineteenth of December, some little offensives. It doesn't happen on the whole line. Um, there's little areas that will have these offensives that you got down. The French sector is quite lively down the French sector. Uh, then, if you move up to Eats, uh, predominantly one springs to mind is Plug Street. Um, there's an offensive that goes in there on a place called the Birdcage, uh, the London Rifle uh, the, the Rifle Brigade, sorry, not the London Rifle Brigade, but there is elements of the London Rifle Brigade with them, but I'll go into that in a minute. Um, so these little offensives are springing up everywhere, but the thing is, these, these, like I said, they weren't like big sector assaults all the time. These are like two or three battalions doing a push, and the thing is, they haven't got the artillery like they will do later on in the war, so there's no uh, real support there so these blokes are going over the top so they're they're wet they're cold they're annoyed and they're now going to go and uh, try and push an enemy out that's entrenched and they're, and they're not got the support they need because they, they haven't got the artillery support so these these uh, assaults don't really go anywhere um but in plug street said when they uh when up at by uh prowse point they assault the bird cage um, and, I, and they did take part of the birdcage for a little while, but the thing was, because there was only one platoon there, one platoon made it, but they couldn't hold it because they didn't get the support they needed because all the other platoons that were supposed to be leading up were either getting cut to pieces or they were getting pinned down by machine gun fire. You know, yeah. these are regular soldiers. These aren't these people <coughs> that are going to go, yes, we're going to go and charge a machine gun. If you're being shot at, you're going to keep your head down until you can solve a way of getting around it. Exactly, so, exactly. Um, so, so, that's, so that's happened now. So now we're coming into Christmas time. So with those little offences that happen, like places like Plug Street um, and other places, I think there's a couple of dining, like Champagne region. Um, so now the Christmas set and winter's, uh, so the frost is starting to set in as well for these blokes. And here we go. And then this is where we come into the actual uh, story of the truce. So that's your little bit of background into the kind of lead up to why it kind of was... Is, you, well, to get that picture in your head to why why this could mm. potentially happen. I think for anyone, you need, as as you obviously ex explained, the background really does make a difference in what's sort of been happening up until that point. And the fact that these are regular soldiers, they're there to do a job. They're not there for like the sort of causes you would see later on in the war would say the volunteer force, or the conscription force, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or the, the kitchen of volunteers, uh, say. Um, so it's a sort of mindset of why these sort of stories come about along the Western Front. Well, obviously not across the whole of the Western Front, but in certain pockets, etc. Mostly with, say, British, but some spots with French and Belgium. But yeah, um, it really comes into sort of the uh, 
the aspect of why these things happen at Christmas. Oh, absolutely. Um, also, by this point as well, by Christmas, because obviously the British Army's, um, well, the British Army isn't the British Army like it was. As I said, there have been all these major engagements they've been involved in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So obviously, they, they, need, they need to be, they need themselves to be refitted. So, mm. yes, you're getting those new volunteers that are coming in. So these are the blokes who have gone down to the recruiting station and gone, I want to go and fight <clears> my country. Mm. So you are getting this sort of like, sort of trickle of blokes um, arriving at the front. Yeah. The thing is, that's the other thing. So a lot of people are under this like, assumption that it's like, right, you're going to have two weeks training. You're going to learn your left from your right and be sent mm. off to the Western Front. Mm. Now, a lot of these blokes who signed up in 1914, they're not going to see the Western Front until 1915. <coughs> exactly. Because exactly. they need to train them. They're not going to yeah. send blokes to war. Yeah. And, <laughs> most of, most of the re- yeah. and most of the reinforcements <laughs> they're getting are from the territorial force that has, exactly. been, re- that has been retraining in England um, prior to going out. Um, obviously, because they've been doing occasional training before the war etc with their territorial service and reserves as well um and then getting back into the swing of things because uh i think a lot of the guys who sort of went out to um france ended up spending a lot of time in literally brand new equipment brand new boots and it wasn't exactly great for them but um it was getting back into the whole thing but they were still hard guys who who mm. had previous service under their belts who still not knew what the uh the uh, aim of the game was really yeah, that's a good point what you brought up about the territorials, because that's where I've, I mentioned earlier about the London Rifle Brigade being at Prowse Point with the uh, Rifle Brigade, because what they were doing, like you said, they were bringing in the reserves now. So they're bringing, the, well, the modern day reserves, but back then they were called the Territorial Army. So these territorials are now starting to steadily deploy to the Western Front. So one such instance is... Prowse Point. So you got, uh, but they're doing it sort of company at a time because they're not going to send the whole battalion in there because they need to be trained as well. So yeah, they got the sort of fundamentals, of the Billy basics of soldiering. But these blokes in the right side, these these blokes on the rifle brigade, they've been fighting. They've been living in the trench for the last two months. So they're starting to get into their own little routines on their new way of doing things, and that's what they're doing. So they're bringing up these companies each time for for their little tour. Um, to train them in their way of life now. It's like that. This this ain't this ain't open warfare anymore, mate. We're entrenched, and this is how we got to do it. This is what we've learned so far, and that's what they're doing with these territorials. And that's across the board as well. That's not just what was happening in the Rifle Brigade, but all the territorial regiments that were going over were, were getting twinned up with these regular battalions to learn this new way of fighting as well. Yeah, it's it's a very sort of difficult situation to be in, really, and um, getting into not just combat, but these sort of situations where some of them had seen action, say, in, in uh, South Africa, in the Boer Wars, the Sudanese campaigns, or even, for example, like people like uh, Smith Dorian's case had seen action um, in the, uh, the Anglo-Zulu Wars, etc. This was a very different type of warfare. And they're getting thrown into battle um, against a fast, numerically superior enemy and really sticking to their own as really as well. So going into sort of the Christmas period, it was very much a case of we need a rest. We knew like, um, and the truth is they may, we need a rest. We need to just cop up this for a day or two just so we can, you know, have a bit of relax because it's been absolutely hard work up until that point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what it was. Um, in my opinion, um, I think that's what it, that it was an excuse. Um, but they were trying to find that excuse. <laughs> so, so, so they're exactly, sat there. Yeah. You know, they're sat there going, like, <coughs> we need a day off from this. Um, you know, yeah, they are doing their, you know, they are being uh, rotated, 
Mm. You know, mm. they, it's not, you know, again, one of those other myths of the First World War. Bloke goes to the Western Front and he'll spend four years in mud for the rest of his life. No. Yeah. It, they, they are rotating them. So they will get that time off where they'll get time to go down the estaminets and soak in the local culture, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely, <laughs> definitely, some, definitely soaking some cultures, yeah. <laughs> um, but then when they're going up onto the line, especially with the weather being like it is, you know, you just got to think you're... You sat there going, we, I just want to die off, really. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and and the, the other thing, they're still, like I said, they're still mm. learning those lessons of the rotations as well. So luckily at this point, they are now going, we can't keep blokes in this weather for a week out, out there in this weather. Exactly. So now you are starting to see this sort of like 48-hour period <laughs> where blokes are going yeah. to the line for 48 hour. So even in some instances, it could be even by battalion. So the whole battalion would rotate itself. So it won't be a case of a battalion move go comes off and another battalion goes in. It could be by companies. So yeah. half the battalion could be up on the line. 48 hours later, boom, the rest the other half of the battalion's gone up to the line. Yeah. So they are trying to rotate them and try and keep like to try and warm them up a little bit. So bring them back mm. off the line a bit, warm them up. But yeah, that's uh, I just think they wanted a day off. And the Germans gave them the uh, perfect excuse for what I think. Exactly, exactly. Because <laughs> I, th- I think especially like for guys who'd been through the early uh, campaign in, in late August and going into September with that ridiculous heat that it was. It was described mm. by as like a scorching summer, um, say like 35 degrees upwards. Um, and guys who've been through that definitely needed a rest then, let alone yeah. several months down the line where some of them are like, the yes, have been rotated in and out kind of, but um, to that point. So they definitely needed like a decent rest. Um, so it was definitely a case of, uh, yeah, we've had enough of this crap for a, for a few months. Let's give us a day or two. <laughs> yeah absolutely the um so they yeah so we're coming to christmas eve and that's where it all starts for us isn't it so the um so that these uh veteran accounts of um blokes going out onto work parties from our side that is um so they were going out doing wiring things like that and nothing was happening uh, yeah, there's some in some instances that you know there's a pop shot here and there, but they were like, there was uh, I can't remember who it was now, uh, what regiment he was in. I want to say he was a rifleman, but I don't think he was. But he was out in no man's land, and obviously, the days of the screw picket don't exist yet. So, the so those uh, you know, the uh, the barbed wire peg, the pegs for barbed wire, the hoops in with the big corkscrew on the bottom, they don't exist yet. Um, for rigging up barbed wire, they use they're, they're using wooden posts. So obviously, a wooden post makes a lot of noise, doesn't it? When you're trying to hammer one in, doesn't matter how quietly you're trying to do it, it's going to make a bit of noise. And he was saying that they, they were hitting it, so they were like whacking the top, getting on the belt buckles, thinking they're going to get shot at, and nothing was happening. So they did it again, got on the belt buckles, nothing happened, and they ended up knocking out these uh, stakes that they're meant to put the wire up and they, they said they'd got, they did get a bit confident by that point. They're like, yeah, nothing's going to happen here. And they then got on yeah. the job and put this wire up and mm. they're like, this is weird. They, 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 <laughs> at that time they're going, this is weird. This is really bizarre. Then yeah. they went, then they obviously went back to their trench and they said, yeah, nothing happened out there. This is ridiculous. So I don't know what's going on out there. <laughs> um, and also then in other parts of the line, obviously because the Germans celebrate Christmas a little bit different. Obviously a lot of our traditions come from them, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. It's all the, the big Victorian Christmas, isn't it? Mm. Um, so they, so the Germans, they start singing Christmas carols, you know, Silent Night and 
all those classics. Uh, <laughs> and obviously the British soldiers, they can hear that because in some, in some instances you are literally in shouting distance or if not talking distance, um, because some of these trenches are quite close together. Um, so they're hearing it. They go, what's going on? Over there? Well, the German, well, the Germans are singing again, <laughs> <laughs> but this time they're singing Christmas carols. And so I think with that, so, oh yeah, it's, uh, it's Christmas Eve. Well, well, let's have, let's have a go then. So, the British soldiers start singing mm. so obviously some German cows because obviously there's a lot of German cows that trans that that translate vice versa. Um, so even if you don't understand the language, you understand the tune. Um, yeah. So they was obviously either start singing along with the Germans or they'll sing their own cows and things like that and start shouting a bit of verbal over to him. It was what exactly. people might call banter. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. I know we had a bit of that in the trench event as well, going back to that. So <laughs> Yeah, it did actually. Yeah. Cause that's how but again, that just started out the blue. You know, we were sat yeah. there in the trench and we heard the German we heard the German singing. Um and then we just joined in. And that's exactly how it just you know that, that and that's exactly how it happened back in yeah. 1914. Sort of, sort of nice organic nature of it was is just it's just brilliant. And you sort of get Obviously, you won't get the full sense of it, but you get a sort of an inkling of like, Christ, this is what it could like sort of been like. So, which is exactly. what I love about the yeah. whole thing. Um, oh, absolutely, <clears throat> definitely. Um, so, we'll quickly take a break here, and then we'll get back in and we'll talk about like, sort of the the um, sort of attributes and activities that um, some people got up to on Christmas Day. If you're enjoying this podcast and want access to exclusive content. Early access to our monthly feature documentary and private podcasts, amongst many other benefits, then consider joining our Patreon from as little as £1. By doing so, you'll get access to all these features, plus your support will help us to keep history alive. Hit the link in the description of this episode and navigate to our Patreon to sign up. Hi, welcome back to the Uncontentables. Thank you to our sponsor. Um, and now we're going to get back in talking about the um, activities and some of the actions that happened on Christmas Day in 1914. It wasn't all bells and whistles and peace and love and harmony to men, but uh, we're going to talk about some of those things and also if anything bad as well happened, really. But uh, Pete, let's hand it over to you. Yeah, so you said it, not, it weren't all uh, it weren't all goodwill to all men by any stretch of imagination. Um, so again, I'm just quickly touching back on the Christmas Eve. Um, it's very well documented. The Germans were putting uh, candles in like jam jars and put them on the parapet of the trench. Um, obviously, naturally, that will make make uh, make our lads a bit suspicious. Like, oh, what are they what are they bloody up to then? Um, and it was a uh, it, it was an officer from the rifle brigade. Now, he was he was actually um, he was down on Pulse Point uh, down Plug Street way. Um, I think he was actually at the birdcage as well. I think, don't quote me on that, but I think he might have been. Um, and he saw these like tea lights being set up along the parapet and he told the lads to shoot them. So it's like that put a stop to any of that, didn't it? But yeah, so <laughs> let's uh, move uh, move to Christmas Day. So Christmas Day comes, they had their, you know, in some areas, they had their little sing song and whatnot. So the routine is start like any other day with the British soldier. He's, he's, he's doing stand two at first light. So he's done his stand two, then they're going into their weapon cleaning, because obviously very important to keep your rifle functioning, especially with all the mud and muck and everything. So he's probably cleaning his rifle at least three, four times a day, or at least eight times in a 24-hour period. Um, so he's doing his rifle cleaning, add a little bit of food, uh, whatever they've bought up for them, or if they've had to um, go into their uh, normal ration of uh, biscuit and bully. Um, 
gone through orders of the day uh, and start their work. Um, so that so that, that, that that's basically how their day would have started. Their day would have started like any other day. Obviously, being Christmas Day uh, in these areas where the truce, these little truces did happen. Um, so in some areas, uh, doesn't matter who started it first, you know, because it was uh, it's almost like a in this instance, it's like one was bad as the other. Um, they would shout over to them like, you know, Happy Christmas, Jerry, or be like Happy Christmas, Tommy. All the rest of it, or they put a little paint, a little sign or something <laughs> above the trench or something. Um, you know, just again, a bit of banter. And it, yeah, they're bored. You know, they're bored. They want to try and entertain themselves. So, um, you know, they got the, that odd exchange of uh, verbal in those areas where you could actually shout over to them. Um, and then that's, and again, um, they're then going into their routines again. You know, they're just trying to pass the time the best they can. What I've gathered from what I've what I, where I've been um, looking at the Christmas truce, it seems that the Germans have instigated quite a lot of it, as in the truce kind of happening. Um, it's not on the sort of the British side saying, "Oh, we got up out of our trench and asked them if we could have a ceasefire." And I, found, I, I haven't really found any of that um, through looking through things. It just seems to be more the Germans are the ones that sort of you know you get the odd couple of Germans will come out waving their hands. Um, or with a white flag um, coming out to no man's land. They're stopping them. That, so when they come up, obviously, again, our lads instantly suspicious. So they call a stand two. So they call their stand two and they see these Germans walk across, but then they see that they haven't actually got a rifle with them. They're, they're you know, they're walking out with either their hands up or they're waving with both hands or whatever. Obviously, then stop them about halfway because obviously they don't want them coming any closer because they don't want them seeing their trenches like happened to one German who come over with um, a white flag, he come walking over and they let him get too close and they actually let him into the trench. And he goes, "Oh, we'd like to have a um, a truce for, you know, a truce today. You know, just we just don't want to fire at anyone today, or um, or we want a couple of hours, somewhere along those lines. Anyway, the end of end all, they want to stop firing for Christmas Day." And uh, the commander officer turned around and was like, well, uh, yeah, that's all well and good, but you can't go back and tell your mates because you're a prisoner now. Because <laughs> he saw the line. He, he, you know, he yeah. saw where our machine gun positions were and things like that. Yeah. So he's like, he can't go back. So he, he's gone back with information. <laughs> but if they had brought him in blindfolded yeah. and sat him there all blindfolded, it wouldn't have been a problem. But because yeah. the lads let him walk over, they're like, yeah, come in, mate. Yeah, no worries, sit down. Oh yeah. Oh well, yeah, no problem. We'll have a truce. Yeah, well, right, send him back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so these uh so initially when it sort of started, there'd be um so they'd come out, um, a representative a representing officer would come out um and have a chat with us. And usually it was like a couple of hours. So they said, Look, can we have a can we just knock it on the head for half a day or something like that, just so we can just chill out and have a day off. Um, because you remember some of these, you know, some of these Germans, they're 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 regular soldiers as well. Because obviously conscription's quite heavy in, in Germany, like there's <laughs> quite a lot of them. Um, but you know, they're in the same situation as what we are. They're they're cold, they're wet, they're fed up as well. So they're like, so we have that mutual agreement. It's like, yeah, no worries, we'll we'll just knock it on the head for a few hours. In places, places like like say like the bird cage. Um, that's also another ulterior motive to that as well, because obviously where these offences have gone up in the lead up to uh, the, the act to Christmas Day, the lads are going, hang on a minute, the Germans are asking us to have a little bit of a ceasefire. 
well, how about we get out there and try and bring some of our lads back in and get them buried? Because they're just sat out there, aren't they? They've been sat out there for over a week. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, out there in the cold and all the rest of it. So they want to bring their they want to bring their mates back in and get them buried. Exactly. So that was so that so also we then started doing and the Germans were doing the same because obviously the Germans were you no, know, they're they're on they're trying to push us out as well. So it then starts in these areas where this sort of stuff happened, mm. is that we ended up burying our lads with the Germans. Um, so obviously then they start chatting to each other, don't they? So although they're burying the dead, you know, they got that conversation kind of, they might not be able to understand what the bloke's saying, but everyone understands a bit of sign language, don't they? Exactly. And they always, and they always know what the British bloke's always on about because he shouts louder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's asking, don't take my sunbed, I think. Yeah. Um, so all these little things happening. So they bury the dead. So they have the church service as well. There, there was um, there was one that was quite well documented where there was a collaboration of uh, Germans and Brits all together um, with their padres, mm. um, and there's a joint service done. So they buried the dead. So they buried them over, and they actually had a service of remembrance for the uh, lads that they just buried, and they all then they all sort of went. Mm. They're kind of different ways. And that's how it all then started escalating. Yeah. And because they got their ceasefire, they're like, hang on a minute. We were chatting to them a minute ago, burying our, burying our lads. Mm. I wonder if they want to, you know, if they, if they, you know, if just go and have a little stretch our legs a bit. So that's how it all then kind of starts, is that they then start, like, basically people are getting very confident. Because obviously that both sides are very distrusted of each other. Because up until now, they're shooting at each other. Yeah. Um. So they, they're coming out. Um. So with that, they're coming out, they're going, you know, waving or they, they're brandishing a bottle or something like that and waving a bottle of brew, booze at a British soldier. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, hang on a minute, he's waving a bottle of booze there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, Waste not, want not. <laughs> exactly. Um, so then they're going out. So, yeah, come on, we'll, we'll, have, your, we'll have your exotic snaps. Um, <laughs> and that's how it starts. Oh, we got a Christmas drink, you know, then... And it all start, that's how this is all starting. All these little incidents are going on, all in these little pockets. This is and and it then escalates. And suddenly, before you know it, your whole company's up. <laughs> I will say your whole company, but a lot of your lads are already up. Same with the German side as well. And then you're starting to chat to each other. Yeah. Um, and that's literally how it's not, you know, it's, it's it's something that's just escalating. It's just it's just something that's escalating, escalating, escalating. And then after that, as soon as it starts getting dark or it's coming up to the curfew time, as in like the ceasefire, everyone's like, right, let's go. Let's go back to our trench. So that's, to me, that is the, because obviously they're exchanging gifts as well. And the other thing you've got as well, um, in, in, certain, in some of these German regiments, they're, um, some of these Germans actually lived in England. You know, mm. they're, they're waiters, barbers. Uh, tailors, people like, but when the war started, they, you know, they they felt it their patriotic duty to go back to uh, Germany to go and fight for Germany. Um, so you got these blokes who, you know, they, they're then shaving them. You know, these old these German barbers are now shaving British soldiers. You know, give them a shave, <coughs> give them a haircut because that's their yeah. trade. Um, yeah, because I, I know one, one conversation was a German soldier was talking to a British soldier and was talking about his time when he was a waiter at the Savoy. And yeah. things along that lines as well. And he was asking questions, oh, how is it there about now? And all these sort of things. Yeah, uh, another incident was a bloke from the London Rifle Brigade. Um, so this bloke from the London Rifle Brigade, he crossed paths with a German who was basically, he was born, he was, he was pretty much born, he was born in uh, 
um, England. Uh, so obviously London Rifle Brigade come from London. And he, 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 what I can remember the, what he was saying when he was uh, recollecting it, it was um, he, just, uh, he just heard this voice in a London accent. And he turned around and, it was like, and there's a bloke in a German uniform. He goes, you British? And he's like, no, mate, I'm German, but, I'll, you know. <laughs> but he said he had, the, he had the accent and everything. <laughs> he did. He stood there talking in a London accent, but he was wearing a German uniform. But it then transpired that this bloke literally lived within like, a mile of him before the war started. So, so that reminds me of a story from the Second World War of a um, guy who was uh, born in, I think it was just outside Winchester Way, so in Hampshire. And he'd moved out to Germany in the, just the post-World War I period. And he'd married out there, he had kids, etc. And then when the Second World War started, he was conscripted into the German army. And it was in Salerno where he was captured by, I think, uh, men of the Hampshires. And oh. he basically, when he got captured, he basically said, oh, thank God that's the war over for me then. And they were like, what? And he was like, yeah, yeah I'm from, from England, and etc. And he's like, yeah, I got conscripted. And uh, yeah, and there's a brilliant picture of him literally just smiling to the camera. Just after he's been captured, because he's he's like, thank God, this is all bloody over now. I don't have to mm. do this crap, and it, and, it, and it, it's it's hilarious. And there's like a whole thing about it, and they record what he said. And um, after you send that off to you, maybe one time with these sort of details that, but it, it's a it's a brilliant little story. And there's yeah. there's obviously obviously that's second world, but it, it sort of resonates with like stuff during the first and 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 post the second world war as well. Oh yeah, you know you do hear about it. You know when wars start, they'll you know the They'll go. They'll go back and fight for their own country. You know, just how it is. Yeah, they feel their patriotic duties to their to their sort of motherland, so to speak. Um, yeah. So yeah, you get all these. But those little anecdotes are brilliant. I think <laughs> when, when you come when when these uh, when you come across them. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. And I think with the whole of the Christmas truce, it's it's sort of like a it's like a little. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's a little droplet of hope in sort of the whole mess that was sort of the First World War. But in, this, in the same sort of thing, it's like it's 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 kind of a natural thing that would happen, really, because as we said already in this episode, these like especially with regards to the British, it was a case of they want the day off. They'd had enough for a while. They just like just even if it's for a few hours, just yeah. so and I don't have the fear of you know a whiz bang coming down and knocking me out or whatever. Um, and it's it's just a case of just like a sense of we'll do what we need to do and then we'll get back to it afterwards. But let just give us this time to just have a bit of time to ourselves, really. Which I think is just it's human. Yeah, it's absolutely human. It is, yeah. Um, and and the same resonates with the Germans as well, or the French or the Belgians. Obviously, as I said before, it wasn't so much a a case with the French and the Belgians because it was more of a case of these guys are on our land. It did happen. Mm. There's did, there's yeah. Yeah, yeah there's accounts of like. French soldiers and German soldiers sliding presents across the river that was in between their lines um, and things along that lines as well. But uh, I think that's it's kind of understandable from their point of view why it didn't happen as, as, as frequently as it did with the British, um, just because it was a it was a different kind of uh, there in my garden kind of aspect. So, oh, but then I think also the other thing. <clears throat> sorry, I'll, um, yeah, that's, that's absolutely fine. I think, I think I think the other thing as well is the cultural similarities between us and the Germans. Exactly, yeah. Um, culturally, we're quite similar, I think. Um, you know, but, yeah, you, in the last century, our own queen was married to a German. And exactly. our, our entire Christmas is founded on Germanness. 
exactly, exactly. <laughs> and 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 so like, Kaiser Wilhelm is the cousin of of the exactly. king, and yeah. the other cousin is the Tsar of Russia. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, it's 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 a crazy thing. And considering with the history, we're it's, almost Fro- like a, it's almost like a family feud. Like oh family, oh god, it? it is. It's like a big <laughs> big big episode of family feuds on telly. It, it's crazy. But like, you got to take into account of like. The history that the French had with the Germans for the say for the past fifty years has been very very rocky. Of the um, Franco-Prussian War, and oh, that had left such a bitter taste with the seizing of Alsace, the region of Alsace and Lorraine, mm. and then going in with the Great War, it it becomes even more bitter. So you can tell why this thing ha- this sort of thing happens a lot with British and German troops and the same in kind of aspect to similar things that happened on the Gallipoli Peninsula as well say between Commonwealth troops and the Turks um that kind of sort of uh playing around of kind of things when the sort of the dull sort of times and uh the sort of sort of messages and the sort of like banter that went back and forth between them obviously not on the scale or the sort of um general meeting greeting friendliness that was um, known during the Christmas truce, but that sort of thing resonates there as well. I think there's a case of um, quite a lot you see throughout the years, really, and throughout mm. the centuries with with the British Army and, and its sort of adversaries. Um, there's a case of uh, mutual um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of mutual respect, yeah, in that sort of way. Yes, of the enemy, and sometimes it, it can get really bitter, but there's a case of mutual respect there, really. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think. And I think that was also um, down to the professionalism as well. Exactly, yeah. Because you know the I think with the British soldier that you know, that, that pre-war regular, he doesn't care who he's going to go and fight. He's being paid either way, <laughs> either direction. <laughs> exactly. His rifle's pointed. He's being paid to do it, and he's good at it. So when war was declared in 1914, he could quite happily have just gone off and fought the French or even the Belgians. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't have bothered him at all. It just so happened that they were fighting the Germans. Uh, he's but he's being paid to fight the Germans, um, and it, like you said, there's there's that mutual respect there because they didn't have like a dislike of the Germans really. Mm. Um, they probably disliked their government's policies. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> I think actual, I think yeah, yeah. But the actual German soldier, like, <clears throat> yeah, doesn't really have any animosity at all to him. You know, he's doing the same job. Is that is that the same as what he's doing? Yeah, exactly. Different exactly. sides, just different sides of the fence, and I think with that professionalism of the British soldier of the time, that I think that's why he could quite easily have gone up there, shook their hand, have a little chat, mm. and then the next day start shooting at me again. Exactly, because uh, yeah, he's very good at what he does. Exactly, because because uh, I think especially like the sort of like that early war propaganda that was sort of set up on it, it from from truths and from sort of fiction as well. I would say mostly affected the new volunteer army that was coming in um not necessarily not necessarily the um pre-war regulars because they were like yeah we've sort of seen most of it it's not really that much of a case but they're just getting there they're just there to do a job but i say that sort of the the spark to the flame that um lit so many fuses to uh get all the volunteer force coming in that's what sort of sparked that so again as you said the the other thing you got as well with the uh you know, again, you've got the territorials as well. But a lot mm. of the territorials, yeah, they're professional <clears throat> territorials because obviously they're yeah. pre-war territorials. But the vast majority of them have joined the territorials because they went away on a summer camp for two weeks every year. Exactly. Where else were they going to go anywhere for free for two weeks? That's somewhere else in the country. Exactly. That's, that was a lot of them. That's why they joined the territorials. It, you know, 
uh, yeah, they some of them signed up for Imperial Service, which they did do, like in the in the Boer War. Yeah. Um, but for a lot of them, they're like 17, 18 year old lads who, you know, there's no <clears throat> real entertainment like it is for a 17, 18 year old today. Exactly. Where they can go off, do this, that, <clears throat> and the other. What else are they going to do? I oh, know I'll go and join the territorials because I'll go to the drill all once a week. That keeps me occupied on a, I don't know, a Tuesday night. Yeah. That keeps me occupied on a Tuesday. Um, at the weekend, if I'm not working, we're probably going to be on exercise or something, doing something exciting and interesting. Exactly. And, um, getting, and getting paid for the privilege to do it as and well. And getting paid to do it as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, but then when we come into the, the volunteers, obviously you've got the Patriots who in 1914 mm. are going, yep, I am going to go and fight for my country. Yep. Fair enough. But then you get people like the Kitchener Volunteers uh, when we're coming into like 1915 um, with these volunteers that are joining is because they they actually got a hatred for the Germans because yeah. it's maybe their father, their brother or their <clears> uncle <throat> has been killed by them. Yeah. So there's that 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 age that hatred's already installed in them. It's you know it's one of those things through history. How how are you going to recruit people to fight someone? Well. It's because you've killed a relative of theirs, a close relative. Yeah, yeah. That's why they're going to go and fight you. So when they get to the Western Front, they have no interest in shaking hands with them. They want to kill them because they want to right the wrong that's been done to them. Exactly, exactly. And I think that, and I think that's a big thing as well. <clears> when <throat> people are saying like, "Why didn't this happen ever again?" Well, that's one of your answers right there. <laughs> exactly. Is that yeah? Because the sort of attitude of change and not obviously, obviously with the high brass doing what they. Do, doing what they did post the whole, all these events to crack down on it ever happened again, really as well. But as, as you just said, like the, the attitude and the feelings had changed so much from, from that, uh, from those early days of sort of the honeymoon period of say relations in the way of like between soldier to soldier. So that sort of more blood sort of thirsty attitude you get with say some following on from there really. Exactly. So when 1915 yeah. comes along, there's some big offensives. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, so we are, we are getting those losses, but so, yeah, so it's, um, but let's, let's talk about what everybody wants us to talk about. <laughs> bloody football. Oh, don't, yeah. don't get me started on the bloody football. <laughs> oh, did they right. have professional goalkeepers and referees? Yeah, if you like, <laughs> mate, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, we've got to touch on this because people people will be screaming, <clears throat> screaming exactly, their exactly. Uh, device what they're listening to this. So what about the football? What about the football? Well, yeah. to be quite honest, I'd rather not talk about the football. <laughs> but, yeah. but, uh, but unfortunately, we've got to. <laughs> Yeah, we, we do, really, we do. Um, obviously, there are sort of accounts of games happening, but not to the extent as it's sort of like uh, romanticised in, say, media or adverts, films, TV, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, so if, Pete, do you want to go into a little bit more of that? Because you know way more than I do on that sort of subject. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, so, yes, um, it, has, it was documented that um, football matches did happen. Um, but the problem is with a modern with modern society and the way they've interpreted the history, yeah, is they think everybody got out their trench, stopped for the day, and they all had one big football match, or in these places where these truces happened, everyone had a football. Where are you gonna find a football for a start? Yeah, <laughs> yeah be, 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 what, the 250,000 aside football game, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, you know, it, it, like I say, it, was, it has been well documented as uh, one of the Highland regiments, one of the Scottish regiments. That was very well. That's that's that is documented that they, for some some bizarre reason, they actually did have a football in the trench room. <laughs> <laughs> Must be a Celtic fan. <laughs> yeah, must have been. Yeah, all Rangers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We must. We must be. Must be fair. <laughs> yes, we must be fair. <laughs> um, yeah, so they had uh, they had a football and they did have a kickabout. Um, but then the other thing as well is that like people think it was like this proper sort of organised thing. It was like you know um, the greys and the khakis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it weren't. It was like any kickabout that mm. happened, um, it it most likely just been a tin can. Or if they did have a football, it would have just been a bit of a knockabout. Um exactly. there's like there's one um German said um from a German uh perspective, they said they saw some blokes kicking a can about, but it was just the Tommies amongst each other just kicking it around. They weren't inviting any Germans to have a kickabout with them, it was just them yeah. having a little but that was like six blokes like kicking it around. Yeah. Um, but also you got the embellishment as well. So again, the media got hold of it. Obviously, that's obviously the post-truce where these photographs. Obviously, it's been photographed as well. So that's the only reason we know the truce happened because it was photographed as well. Yeah, in some of these places. Um, so the media got hold of it, and again, the media does what it does best. It elaborate, it embellishes the truth. You know, it's like why why let the facts get in the way of a good story? Yeah, and and that and that's another thing as well. So with that, move it forward a hundred years to the centenary. So you already had that from nineteen forty, and then how how it's all been perceived in schools and things like up until that point. But then we hit the hundred years of the Christmas truce, and then bang, it all gets embellished even more. So everyone yeah. has this this perception of this is what the truth was. It wasn't what it was at all. You know, um, I say that most have been a tin can. Um, I mean, it was uh, the rifle brigade. Um, they didn't use a tin can. They found a dead rabbit and they started kicking that around <laughs> amongst each other. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. But it's our men, you know, they've seen a lot in the last few months, these blokes. They've exactly, seen a lot. Exactly. So kicking a dead rabbit around ain't really going to bother them, is it? Exactly, exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've, I remember right. The only reason they stopped was because it started falling to bits. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that was the only reason why they stopped kicking it around. Um, but there's the other thing as well. You also got embellished. When I say about embellishing the truth, it's like you got blokes making stuff up as well. Yeah. So there was um there was a bloke um uh, in a field hospital. Um, he was sat there and he was recovering from wounds, and uh, and he turned around and said, "Oh yeah, I was uh yeah I was uh I was uh I was there Christmas Day yeah," <laughs> and everyone's going, "Was you? Oh yeah yeah big football game and everything," and obviously the nurses have heard about this and they've gone. Well, we got someone who witnessed the big football matches that were going on. Oh, we'll get a reporter. So reporter comes in for the local press, sit there yeah, at the hospital yeah. talking to him. So you saw the Christmas shoes. Oh yeah. Transpired that this bloke, his <laughs> his regiment weren't even at the front at that yeah. point. They were behind the line <laughs> at that point. While yeah, the was going on. It's sort of like the book is you sort of like the book. Oh yeah, I've got I've got a yacht tied up in the in London Harbour. It's like, oh god. Yeah, well, let's see it then. Here we go. <laughs> it is is Mr. <laughs> Mr. Walter Mitty himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so oh, he obviously sat there like thinking, I was, he obviously sat there thinking it was like, 
yeah, I'll give you a little bit of attention. Or he just yeah. thought, oh, wouldn't it be funny if I just said I was there? But then it's a joke that yeah. went too far, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so you, I, might be able to get an, I might be able to get a better nurse out of this, you never know. And then, yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> and, then, like you said, and like you said before, you know, the 2000 aside football game. Yeah. So No Man's Land <clears throat> isn't, isn't the quagmire, again, what people believe it to be. Because remember, we're still quite early in the war. Artillery yeah. isn't yeah. in the abundance that it is. <clears throat> so when they're, looking over the, when they're looking over to No Man's Land, it's meadows, pretty much. Exactly. You know, it's, it's all like, it's either, you know, it's, it's agricultural land. And some yeah. of us still got the crops growing in it. Yeah, you know, um, so if you've got two thousand blokes stood in the middle of no man's land watching a football game, that's going to draw quite a lot of attention. Doesn't matter where you're stood along that line, if you can see yeah. that, wherever, like, mm. if you're on the flanks of that, so you know you got other battalions along that line who might not be taking part in the truces, but they might be an eye shot of that battalion. But two thousand yeah. blokes in the middle of a field—that's going to draw a lot of attention, <laughs> exactly. and that's going to—and there's going to be a lot more letters going out mm. going. You won't guess what I saw yesterday, mother. <laughs> <laughs> young Jerry was in a field. Young Jerry was football. frolicking with some Germans. <laughs> yeah, playing football. Yeah. yeah, we're sat there playing football. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe my eyes. Never seen anything <laughs> like it all my life. But we don't see any of that, really. Yeah, exactly. You exactly. Know, with these, you know, with these. Um, Recollections that have come back, or these reports that have come back in letters and diary entries as well. It's usually handfuls. It's like a few boats here, a few boats there. Maybe a company went up, you know, a company's worth of blokes went out, had a look. Because obviously, not, not all the blokes are too keen on going to talk to the Germans either, especially these lads like down in the birdcage who, within, you know, five days before, they were fighting to take the birdcage about five days before. Yeah. And they're going to be sat there going, no, mate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you, exactly. You, you can you can do one. Like like I said, like that officer did from the London, mm. from the rifle brigade, where mm. he said, I saw that he saw their Christmas lights going up along the uh parapet and he was like, shoot them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because they weren't, yeah, because they, you know, they weren't interested. They'd been in a big engagement and they were still a bit sore from it. Exactly. You, could, you can't so, blame him. You can't blame him because you've been in that mindset for so long. Of course. Like, it's like why why are we gonna play happy families now? But yeah. Yeah, um, it's, exactly. It, yeah, it's definitely just down to personal experiences, but yeah. Um, and obviously there was uh, accounts of similar things happening up until New Year's Day. Um, obviously yeah. on smaller and smaller scales uh, as the as the days went on, really. But uh, but little things did happen. Yes, they did. So we got um, so majority of places it was Christmas Day. It was Christmas Day, and that was it. But what they kind of did was like an official truce where they went, look. We won't come out the trenches, but we just won't shoot at each other until New Year. And they're gone. Yeah, all right then, no problem. So that's what they did. So they weren't going out to meet each other. They were just. It was a live, let live policy up until yeah. the New Year. So yeah. in that time, again, with those professional soldiers, the British Army, they're going. All right, I can't shoot at you. You can't shoot at me. We can do a lot of work to this trench in a, in a, in the course of a few days. We got up until New Year. Mm. We can get a hell of a lot done because we're not now confined to the trench. We can get out the trench and actually start revetting stuff and actually moving around a lot better to actually get this mm. built up better than what it should be. Exactly. Um, but then the other thing as well is they agree to this, so they go, mm. "Yep, yeah, no problem." 
like I said, they're starting these rotations, that 48-hour rotation. Yeah. So that regiment might have come off. No, that regiment's now come off the line. So could have been that night. So Christmas Day evening, when they went, you know, tell our Jerry, lovely to meet you. I got back to the trench. Orders came up when it came to when it got dark. They went, right, you lads have been moved out now. We got a, you got a rotation happening. And then you got another battalion move. So it could be another battalion or indeed another company that's come yeah. in who know nothing about this truce, what's going mm. on. They might, or it might have been in the handover. You know, the command officer would have given a handover and said, look, up until New Year, we said we're going to have a bit of let live policy until New Year. Some of them have gone, yeah, okay, I can see where you're going from with that. Or others have gone, no, you're having a laugh, aren't you? And they'll just start shooting <laughs> at them. <laughs> and that's, and that's, and, and that, that also then goes into, why the truce finished as well because of these rotations that were happening yeah you know these rotations are happening so you're getting fresh blokes into the line some are actually or you got a whole battalion being withdrawn off and you've got a different battalion going in who have been they've been set off the line for a week they ain't yeah. they, ain't, they ain't seen heard nothing of any of this so yeah. they they turn up see germans walking around oh, we can have a go at this <laughs> and so <laughs> you know um and that's and also words getting back to the brass as well. That's the other thing. So though you know the uh, brigade commanders, the division commanders, the corps commanders, and obviously ultimately Sir John French, that they're starting to hear all these reports of fraternisation with the enemy. Obviously, big no-no. Um, I can't remember which general it was now. Um, but he what he reprimands. He he turned around. He goes, "I want officers' names, and I want the." He wanted them court-martialed. He was saying, "Like I want these blokes who were instigators in this, who went out there with their blokes to talk to them, who should yeah. have put a stop to it. I want them on court. I want court-martialed." Nothing happened. Apparently, it all sort of got sort of swept, blown away. But um, but yeah, the the big boys were starting to hear about it, and they were like, "Right, okay, then you think you're having your truce or your ceasefire until." New Year's Day, <laughs> no way you are you. <laughs> so they then start telling them, right, you're doing a trench, no, trench raid. You're going down for a trench raid or they'll get the artillery up. So they go, right, throw some rounds into that trench, just into that German line over there. Just throw a load of rounds in. So, and also the Germans are doing that as well. So it's not just us yeah. stopping it. Yeah. The German high commanders now hearing about this as well. And they're doing exactly the same as what our, 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 um, our high commander doing. They're going, what, truce? What truce? Throw some shells over to them. So it's not so much then the blokes stopping the truce, it's the artillery. Yeah. Because then, then, because it's then going back into that cycle of my mate's just been killed by artillery fire. The Germans did that. Yeah. You know, and it's then going back into and that's how it's, you know, pretty much slept, slept, slipped, how it slipped back into that cycle of actually going back to, back to war. Um, yeah. But like I said, with the British, with the, with the, with the, with the professional British soldier, he had no qualms with that. He, you know, he's like, well, I've had my truce. So that's all right. I'll start shooting again tomorrow. No problem. Because, like I said, they, they were they were hard-fighting, hard-drinking soldiers. <laughs> and they were very, very good at what they did. And it was it was their job. It was their profession. And so it was like, well, it's just not occupational hazard that you're at the other end of my rifle, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. And um, <clears throat> I think that sort of rounds up to sort of a great way to sort of end it, really. Because mm. um, obviously they're barely has anything similar to this on this scale happening anywhere else during well anywhere else during the war as i, I said there's little bits of similar things happening yeah, gallipoli and uh yeah i think there's this there's similar things that happened on the on the eastern front as well with the russians um and elsewhere around the world as well 
But in, in the was, case of yeah. There was some um there was some little incidences Christmas nineteen fifteen. Yeah. Um where the British that not all the British, that again, this is very, very, very minimal. Um, where they tried to do something, but they were like, no, end happening. So it was <clears throat> there was there was that intent by some people, but it's it to say that yes, they did try and do another truce is yeah. not no, that's completely wrong. It's one of them, it's a very, very, very small amount of blokes, yeah, yeah, who did try it but it never escalated to nothing yeah exactly 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 yeah i think it um but it is sort of shows us sort of those little bits in history which are just like some things can happen but it's yeah um but as i was saying uh i think that was a really really good episode and um, i really really hope you guys who've been listening have enjoyed um we'll be doing similar things in the way of different accounts of different uh Things that happened throughout the Great War, Second War, and so on, and before, uh, before and beyond as well. Um, so, if you've got any questions, please contact us through our um, different channels, either through TikTok, through YouTube, through Facebook, etc. And if you wish to donate, there'll be a PowerPoll link in the uh, description below. Any donation will be very, very helpful. It goes towards helping fund them with the podcast and with uh, if we need to travel to places to do. Um, little walk-arounds and museums, etc. It helps with fuel and all those sort of things. So I really, really hope you enjoyed. Thank you so much to Pete Neil for, for coming on to this. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and his wealth of knowledge on this subject is brilliant. And hopefully we'll uh, do some more in the future. So thank you again for listening. And bye for now. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>